Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. What's up, people? Episode number 11 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. Thank you very much for being here. The MTB Tribe Podcast is a show that takes you inside the sport of mountain biking, picking the brains of industry leaders, finding out what makes them tick. We'll be bringing you information on everything from gear to diet to trails and everything in between. And also the odd episode of Why You Ride. Yes, I want to talk to you, the everyday rider, and break down the reasons why you ride. So please get involved. Log on to the website, mtb-tribe.com, and get involved. You can subscribe there. Get some insight into the show notes, etc., before they go live on the site. So please do that. Get involved. I really appreciate it. Now, on today's show, I am super stoked to have the guys from Meg Monkey in Belfast. And uh, we're talking everything. Thing really about getting your bike ready for the winter and about just how to generally maintain your bike throughout the year. So um, I hooked up with the guys in their workshop in Belfast um, on a Friday evening and they were very, very welcoming there and their store is really cool and um, definitely worth checking these guys out because they know their stuff. We talk about how the guys get started in, in the maintenance world, um, their passion for everything mountain biking. We chat about what Make Monkey do, how they can help you, um, how their their maintenance process works and we talk about everything from bike setup to washing your bike to the do's and don'ts to tyre pressure suspension setup, brake repairs we go into a lot of stuff but it's really good, it's not too in depth it's just for the likes of you and me who are out there riding a few times a week or whatever and hopefully we will be doing some um, shows in the, in the near future going into stuff in a wee bit more detail so that would be good also, so sit back and enjoy and um, make sure you get your uh, bucket and sponge ready because uh, this is all about maintenance folks it's hands on, enjoy the show Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing this evening? No need to be nervous. <laughs> yeah, well, good. <laughs> so just introduce yourselves. Uh, hi, I'm Kieran. And I'm Lewis. Thanks very much, guys. And the guys are from Make Monkey in Belfast here, and uh, we're here to answer all your mechanical questions. So these are the boys for it, so I'm told anyway. And uh, we've, they've got a lovely store here. We're sitting in quite a cool store. Um, very rustic and... Uh, very mountain bike-ish, if that's even a word. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, uh, just let's let's talk a wee bit about your background just to start with. Um, tell me a wee bit about how long, you know, you've been kind of working on bikes and how you get interested in bikes. Yeah, it goes back to, like, I guess back as a, as a kid and I had bikes and it was just like, was never sort of take it to the guy to get it fixed. It was just like, how do I take this apart? How does it go back together? And the all else fails, then take it to the shop and say, I broke that, you know, what, yeah. what am I doing wrong, you know? Uh, so it just came out of necessity, like, you know, to fix your own stuff, you know? Aye, and, and were you always into bikes from a young age? Was it a BMX thing or was it street anti mountain bikes? No, I I, I kind of stayed with the mountain bike stuff. I guess I skipped it a little bit, you know, in my kind of early teens. I got into skateboarding and stuff and then came back to it. I guess, like, sort of 16, 17, something like that. Came back into the bike things just after the skateboard stuff. Happy days, cool. And um, you were obviously doing it from a young age. Were you just, you know, reading any magazines at that time or doing anything like that? Uh, I guess I, I kind of got into the magazines after I got sort of into the industry. I was sort of just tinkering with bikes until I got sort of given a shop by my local shop, sort of going, 
you know, yeah, look, I've built this bike for myself. Can I have a job? And the guys were like, yeah, okay, no worries, yeah. I mean, there, there's a bike in a box. See if you can make it work. And, and then from then, I was kind of surrounded by the industry and didn't really know how much there was going on behind the scenes, all the kind of olden days racing and stuff. Kind of learned about all that from the, the guys I met through working in the shop, really, you know. Right, cool. So have you always worked on bikes then from, from day one? Have you done anything else? Uh, not really, no. Started there and went to uni and was doing it part-time. Then after uni, the boss of the bike shop I was in offered me too good of money to, to turn down. And I was like, well, I could do my degree thing or I could just work on bikes and working on bikes is cool. So stayed at that. That's what you love doing, so why yeah, not? Yeah, exactly. So never never moved from it. All right, cool. And what about you, Lewis? Kind of similar background or? Yeah, uh, I started riding mountain bikes probably when I was about 14 or 15. And the only way to get a bike then that you could actually ride was to build it you know nothing you could buy off the shelf was good enough so built up a bike for christmas one year parents bought me all the bits and i put it together and then it was probably an absolute heap like setup wise if we looked at it now but i was happy with it and it worked so uh yeah from then just went through done a bit of stuff at tech and worked in a bike shop as soon as i left and been mm-hmm. in the trade ever since so very good. And did you just both work at Chain Reaction or something? Is that right? Huh? Yeah. We done the uh, well done a stand I was in Chain Reaction for about eight years or so. Really, eight years? So, wow. Yeah. And you just decided then enough was enough. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, I'd done a lot of years uh, in bike dock, and then um, then I moved to Chain Reaction for a few years, and then obviously that's well that's when me and Lewis met, and. I guess a lot of conversations happened that were like, oh, I wish a bike shop was like this and a bike shop like that. And, you know, we'd seen the potential that Chain Reaction had going into a retail shop going, you know, with the amount of stock and and kind of money behind this company, this could be something else. But you're kind of drowned out by, you know, management going like, no, this makes us more money. That doesn't make any money. And we're just sitting in the workshop getting more and more frustrated about, yeah. you know, when it like like I was saying about us being nippers and going into bike shops and talking to the guys and going, Whoa, look at that stuff, you know, that's really cool and everyone knew everything about all the kit and could tell you anything you wanted to know off the top of their head, you know. Yeah. So you had a real passion for the bits and bobs of the sport and you were obviously doing it from such a young age that um you just felt it was at a certain time it was time to move on and do your own thing. Yeah. So you were probably sitting in the tea room saying, right, oh, man, are we going, are we going to make a movie? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Secretly sending each other messages. So when did you decide then to go out on your own and, and partner together and start your own thing? Uh, I guess it's a sort of strange one. Like with, uh, like everybody, like, you know, all bike mechanics pretty much will do work from home for either mates or friends and mates and stuff. So we were both doing that. And then we'd kind of talked about, you know, starting something. Um and I guess we'd kind of like looked casually at we units to work out of and stuff, and and uh, I think it was Lewis that said find one online. And went, oh, look at this, this is pretty cheap, and it's over here, it's close, and all this kind of stuff. And before we knew it, we kind of looked at him and yeah, that's cool. Like you know, then we'd pay our deposit money and we we're in it and going right <laughs> here we are, you know, Whoops. right right in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you were both working full time at that stage, were you? Yeah, that's right. So. It sounds to me that you kind of just went for it. You, you know, no consideration for losing a full time wage or anything like that. Did it scare you at all, or were you, were you just gung ho for it and ready to go? At the early stage, I think it was just it was all just a you know a top up for your your earnings. We weren't really you know scared about getting caught on or anything because it was just one stage above 
you know, doing it out of your shed at home. It's only this one was in a, a you know, like a shop, not a shop, but like a wee kind of workshop, oh, you know. All right, so you, just, you were still working at that stage yeah, as well? Yeah, still working in Chain Reaction. And then all right, right. Going around, you know, sorting stuff out in there in the evenings and days off, weekends, all that sort of stuff. Just like we wow. basically pulled our homers together and sort of expanded it a bit and gave it a name, you know. Wow, well, that was a good way to go about it. Very yeah, good. So we kind of played it safe, but also just sort of stumbling, you know, just keep stepping up one step of the ladder at a time, and then you sort of start like back. You know, now you look down it and go, "Whoa, come on a bit." You know? Yeah, yeah. And did you find that? Did you find that difficult? Um, you're working in chain reaction all day, tough enough uh, week in week out. Did you find it then coming home and having to work on bikes again? Did it actually? put you off or were you nervous at it putting you off that whole side of things or are you just, just such in love with that type of thing anyway I think it's just something we've already done you know we were like Kieran said working out of our garage at, at night and stuff anyway so like you can never being a bike mechanic I'm sure most people know that are you can never just get away from it you'll always have someone coming to your house going can you do that can you fit a group set can you service before can you so it was just the same. The hardest part was probably finding the time to actually fit the place out and right. you know, give it a bit of an image and try and get a workshop set up. So I think we spent, there's probably numerous, numerous nights just, you know, staying there to one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, just fitting everything out and uh, lots of energy drinks and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sponsored by Monster or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you just could sort that out, that'd be great. <laughs> um yeah, well, that, it sounds like you have a real passion for it. So when did you then decide that it was time to go full-time full into Make Monkey? When when did that decision come about? Yeah, it was kind of, again, sort of natural progression. Like, eventually, there was so much work there in the evenings that we're going, well, you know, we're we're having to work a lot of hours here to put out all, like, to, to do all the work that people want us to do. So it, the demand's there. And then, you know, if, if we kind of wanted to always stay ahead of, you know turning work around quickly enough and not saying to someone like there's you know there's a two-week wait on this stuff so we kind of always wanted to stay ahead and not get that reputation for Uh for being the slow guy so there was just enough work there that like uh, at that stage i decided to go part-time in chain reaction um they 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 let me go part-time and then they kind of changed their mind so once they changed their mind that was a bit of a you know a kick going right you have to make a call here and made the call and you know, and were them boys time. supportive of your move? Did they know you were doing it, or was it? Uh, was or it did bit, they see it as a bit of competition? Maybe it was a bit or? sneaky, and then I think they sort of found out about it, but didn't tell us to find out about it, and then sort of I think that's when they changed their mind about the, the part time thing because it was sort of a conflict of interest. But the, yeah, they're being sort of awkward about the situation. <laughs> right. Okay. We'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So. It's very interesting, you know, and it's funny because there's so many guys that I've talked to or, or will be talking to in the podcast, and the movement's very similar, you know. It's something that's very, just a passion, really, but it, it works its way into a full-time occupation for them. So it's cool, and, like, the clothing and your logo and all is very, very cool. So obviously there's brains behind, you know. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but there's brains behind it. You just didn't fall into it, you know. You just went about it very very intelligently really so so good stuff but did you ever have any moments when you thought to yourself oh crap you know uh we've just left full-time employment we now have rent we have rates we need to get customers was that all playing in the back of your minds or were you just were you just riding her downhill 
It does a bit, and you kind of just have to have to go with it, you know. Um, there's a certain point when there's there's no use stressing, you know. It won't like you can't. Well, you can do what you can try to make business come in the door, but you can only do so much. You have to let your reputation kind of work, and I guess it's this, you know, an industry where word of mouth is key. Like we could spend all the money, like you know, throwing billboards up, and you're just throwing it into the general population, mm-hmm. but. When someone gets a bike back and it's good and they tell two or three of their mates, it might take them six months before their mates need something done, but it does grow, you mm-hmm. know, so it's a wee bit of a slow growth, but like, <clears throat> you know, as soon as a resignation letter went in on the desk, you know, St. Louis, then my mate text went, <laughs> oh, there it is, you know, it's done now, like, and you know, all you can do is just keep going forward and so yeah. far, so far so good. Happy yeah. days. Happy days. So... Lewis, tell us a wee bit then for anybody that doesn't know know your brand and what what you do. Just tell us a wee bit about Make Monkey and what it is what it is you actually do here. What we try to do is be just like the best quality workshop that you can you know you can go to. Um, I think for long enough we always tried to sort of instill like I managed workshops with in Chain Reaction and uh, always tried to install that quality was key. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want anything coming back. I mean, you trust a lot of you put a lot of faith in your bike even if you're just commuting to work your brake fails your wheel buckles unnecessarily you're in trouble you know mm-hmm. um so it was always quality over quantity and that was a hard thing to that was a hard thing to maintain when you know a big company wants like 100 bikes a week out the door so yeah what we want to do is just something that you know there's nobody here telling us that you need to do you know 30 bikes a week that's not happening so Mm -hmm. uh, we can spend as much time as we want on it to get it right and i think that's really stood us in good stead for getting people to come back um and that's really just what our ethos is just do it right not have a comeback have people riding their bikes at the best that that bike can be so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no matter what it is road bike mountain bike whatever so cool and we'll get into a wee bit more specifics a wee bit later um just on how people can do a wee bit for themselves yeah. and, and, and what they need to do to come and see you guys as well. Um, but who would your general customer be? Do you, would you would you just service anybody, no matter what they bring in the door there? Yeah, uh, we, we'll we have all sorts in here. You'll pretty much anybody that wants a quality job done and, and, uh, and like, they've heard about us and they come back and, you know, we've got, you know, college lecturers on commuter bikes you know from that Mm -hmm. but i mean what we're probably most known for is just mountain bike stuff we're both mountain bikers and we know most people Mm -hmm. within the local scene and like that's our passion so playing with suspension doing all that stuff was kind of always the thing that kept me interested in it so yeah we get a lot of a lot of work off the back of that and a lot of our customer base is people that we'll see on the trails you know or mm-hmm. with now a, new, a lot of new people it is just like Kieran said word of mouth is just getting around and people mm-hmm. just find somewhere that they know and trust and just keep coming back you know yeah well that, that that's cool and so you do suspension you just do all kinds of maintenance everything really that you require do you do complete builds as well and stuff yeah. like that we've uh, we have a couple of complete builds in at the minute so um if somebody wants it it's rare enough these days when you can go and buy a yt capra for four grand and the specs worth four grand itself you know yeah. so you don't see half as many custom builds as you used to but mm-hmm. we can still do that and spec bikes up for guys and 
and and just get into it from the ground up, build ways, do all that sort of stuff. Yeah, very good. And and there's actually a subscriber to the show, and he's got a couple of questions for you, you guys, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. One's about speaking your bike up, which is quite interesting. Um, but we'll we'll talk on that a wee bit later. Um, what would be the most common repair you guys would get in here? Do you think? At the First minute, tire. rebuilding Monarch shocks, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you do what? Sorry, rebuilding Rock Shocks Monarchs at the minute. <laughs> I think we're done five this week. So, uh-huh. um, wow, yeah, yeah. Uh, we do get a lot of people's stuff coming in. Uh, just general, they want a general service. That would be probably more your your road customer or like your commuter bike or mm-hmm. something like that. The mountain bike guys tend to be a bit more specific. Like they, they tend to know what their bike's doing and, and want to just address that. So. We do a lot of like reverb rebuilds, new dropper posts and stuff. Right, right. Yeah, some pieces like that. Yep, cool. And how does the how does the whole process work then? If somebody wants to bring a bike in to get repaired, how how does that work? And how long does your kind of general repairs take? Uh, generally, we don't pre-book anything. Um, just through the years of the bike trade and pre-booking, it just never works really. You know, to suit the customer or or the shop. So drop your bike in um, give us a call or, or whatever um, get on Facebook send us a message or our email and uh, drop your bike in usually we'll try to turn stuff around in two to three days oh really wow so, um, providing it doesn't need any special parts ordered or anything but that's yeah. our, our aim very good and sitting in the store now I was going to ask you if you, if you sell any product as well but you obviously do you have your own line of clothing you have decline, decline clothing here, and I see you've got mountain bikes and stuff. And do you want to just take us through a few wee bits and bobs you sell? Yeah, well, like, we've kind of, obviously, we started as a repair shop. So, like, whenever a customer come through the door and they go, oh, you know, what, what oil should I be using on my chain? You know, that's whenever we started, started bringing in bits and pieces of, the, the, you know, that kind of maintenance stuff, bike washes and things that you kind of, you know, would be recommending people anyway it's sort of silly to go oh you should use this but you can get it somewhere else you know so sort of brought in a bit of that stuff um and the same with bikes i brought in sort of people were asking us about bikes so we brought in a couple um so basically we've started sort of stocking stuff that that we believe in we've you know tried everything over the years so like so the lubes and stuff we brought in juicy lubes recently like we can like stand over all their stuff you know it all works really well um like we have used we used everything like you know even like muck off like we really like their cleaner but their lube doesn't work so good and then mm-hmm. pedro's really like their chain oil but their cleaner's not so good and then, right, right. then you look at juice lubes and like their tire sounds good their frame polish is good like everything everything works so we can kind of happily stand over it and tell the customer honestly like yes this will work same with it, the kind gear like we had our team running it last year seen hardly anything ripped that the, the guys stand over it for two years which is pretty rare wow, really on wow. clothing it's also not extortionate, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, we're not overly flash ourselves, like, you know, we'd, we'd happily spend 20, 30 quid on a, on a, like, bike jersey, but when you're asking 50, 60 quid, you know, it's a bit ridiculous for something you might, you know, throw yeah. down the trail at the weekend. <laughs> um, and then I guess the same with bikes, you know, we've always liked Rocky Mountain bikes, uh, we've seen a lot of the development that goes into nuke-proof bikes, so we brought them on as well, and then just recently we're bringing in transition bikes too, so, um, right, cool. it, again, it comes from stuff like we see you know, a transition might come in the door for suspension service and we'll give it a test ride and go, actually, that works really well. So, you know, let's let's make an inquiry about that. So um, kind of everything, you know, we can 
honestly tell a customer that yeah we've tried this we've used it and, and it works so. yeah so that's pretty awesome so you're not stocking stuff just because it gives you the most profit margin or anything <laughs> yeah, like that exactly you're, like we've, we've done enough time with that where your your, your bike shop manager will bring it like, here check out this new brand we've got and you go or like especially from a mechanics point of view you'll build it and as soon as you build something out of a box mm-hmm. you know that thing you know reasonably inside out you go right this is you know this hardware is useless this doesn't you know do this and you know you kind of get a good good feel for stuff so we've sort of seen it all and try to pick the best bits you know yeah well that well that's very good and that's you know that's the right way to go i think you know with the images i have and everything else so no that that's very cool so if you want guys let's talk a wee bit more about maintenance and set up for your bike then and what people should be looking at you know when they have their bike because i'm sure you see bikes coming in all the time and they're completely set up wrong um so what should people be looking at to achieve when, when they're kind of setting their bike up to best suit their size or their leg you hear so much stuff leg length height weight so what's the best way to kind of go about it as regards to like setting it up for your actual sort of to fit your body size bikes these days are probably kind of shaped where they don't really fit you all like great you know they're always kind of a compromise and you can always sort of uh get your saddle height fairly close by you know stick the saddle up full extension have your crank arm right at the bottom and put the heel of your foot on the pedal if you do that and your knee is fairly straight and locked out by the time you put your ball of your foot on the pedal it'll just be a nice kind of pedaling position so mm-hmm. that's one thing you can sort of start off to get your saddle height right mm-hmm. and then really it just comes down to preference you know bikes now are getting very long and yeah uh, like we've seen with these sort of geometry of bikes like whereas a seat tube used to be fairly slack um as head angles and top tubes have got longer and your your weight's more towards the front seat angles angles have had to get a lot steeper to match so the bikes actually climb and stuff so mm-hmm. it really is just personal preference once you get your saddle height you know fairly close that way yeah you might need to put it up or down a tiny bit because you'll feel maybe pain in your knees or your hips or something right. like that um so it's a wee bit trial and error there a lot really of it is yeah i mean the, if i set my bike up at its most efficient it's probably not that comfortable for me to ride you know like i've had bike fits and stuff on road bikes and I didn't like it, you know, it probably was where my body needed to be, but it just wasn't the way I like to ride it, so... Right, okay. There's a a lot of trial and error. If you get it close, there's a lot of stuff, like, now that you've got YouTube and bits and pieces like that, it's really hard not to find the information you need, so yeah. there's probably a hundred bike set up. And then articles. about the the reach of the bike then, should, should people be looking at, when they're sitting on the saddle, reaching out, you know, do they want their arms locked, or do they want a slight bend in their arms, or what kind of way do you want that generally when when climbing you want to be you want your sort of to be fairly stretched out um when the the person's sort of across the bike you want to get your weight forward to keep the front wheel down and and all that sort of stuff um that's why bikes are tending to go for a lot steeper seat angle so you've got your weight over the bottom bracket so it's quite easy to get par you know from your sort of like a straight line from your knee down into the pedals right right and then, like, any weight you can get onto the handlebars will stop the front wheel raising when you're climbing steep stuff and, and bits and pieces like that, so. Yeah, so it's just kind of set it up, try it, tweak yeah. it a wee bit, maybe here and there. And what about ladies then as well, setting up their bikes? Does their bikes need to be set up any differently? Because we're hearing quite a lot at the minute about Lady Pacific bikes. 
um, set up slightly differently. But do, is it the same principles that just go for, for ladies as well? It, it generally is. And I think just uh, even body shapes get into it a wee bit there. You know, the bikes themselves, if it's designed for a lady, will generally have like a taller seat tube and a shorter top tube. Um, whether or not that's correct in this day when everybody wants like a long bike and really long reach really slack bikes and mm-hmm. um but that's generally the way the industry's kind of pointed that sort of stuff and it does seem to work like we in previous jobs have sold plenty of what would be classed as lady specific bikes and mm-hmm. everybody seems to get on okay with them just because they'll generally have like a, a longer leg um compared to a man would and yeah uh, a shorter back to correspond with that you know so mm-hmm. and guys i'm sure you see quite a lot of bikes coming into the store um that guys have set up themselves what would you say is the biggest mistake people make when they're just setting their bike up for their riding position uh riding position wise probably brake levers would be one of the ones that sticks out in my mind right. um and, and even sort of saddle position on the rails so okay um if the bike's kind of too short, you'll often see someone will have the seat slammed right back in the rails and the bike really just isn't the right size. You you can sort of patch it up a wee bit like that, but if their knees aren't in relation to the bottom bracket and stuff, then you start, you'll get a lot of pain in certain places like your hips or, or your legs and, and like at the back of your knee and stuff. So mm-hmm. really it is getting to a bike shop that you can try the right size of bike and having someone there that knows that that is your size of bike mm-hmm. you know in this day and age buying a lot of stuff online it's probably quite easy to just you know am i large am i medium yeah, yeah. it's hard to know sometimes yeah. and then i suppose certain brands you might be a medium in some brands and a large in others would that yeah, be true or for sure like um we've got some people and they're trying to buy a bike from us and uh you know there would have been a large and maybe a new extra large is maybe more what they're after. So you can even see just the way bike sizes have got where the, the sort of the seat tubes have got a bit lower in the last couple of years and the bikes have got a wee bit longer. So someone who wouldn't have been able to fit on an extra large but wants to ride a long bike can now, you know, get on one. So, uh, yeah, it's you really, you sort of need to do a lot of looking at the measurements and looking at what you're riding now and, and see could I get away with that extra 10 yeah. mil here? Or yeah. So it's interesting. So the biggest mistake people make when setting up their bike is probably having the wrong size of bike. Which uh, probably. Is, yeah. Which you is, see quite wow. a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Um, and brake lever angle too. You see a lot of things pointing down towards the ground, which would be very sore on your hands and, and just even like the, the reach wind right out. So you need to have like ET's fingers to reach them and stuff. So right, right, you get a lot of that. So it's just really being comfortable, I suppose. Um, and if you did set your bike up badly wrong and, and say you were riding a bike that was too small or way too big for you or something, how can that affect your actual riding? I'd say like people will learn to ride a lot, around a lot of problems. You know, mm-hmm. um, we see it at kind of all levels. You know, from from beginner riders right through to people who are way faster than I am on a bike, you know, you'll look at their bike and it'll be like, that could be better, that could be faster, you know, but people can learn to ride around mm-hmm. issues quite quite easily. So, yeah, it's really putting a bit more time into your setup and a bit more thought is probably the best thing you can do because if you start analyzing it yourself and, you know, with camera phones these days with like super slow-mo and stuff, get your mate to film you going through a section or mm-hmm. or doing something like that and just have a look and see what it looks like you know 
Probably look quite slow. (laughs) (laughs) Initially, that's what I'm thinking. (laughs) That's it. But you can actually see with real impressive detail what's happening with the bike, you know, with just like your standard iPhone camera now. So Mm -hmm. it's a real good tuning tool that we've used on the trails with people and even the World Cup level. Like we've done a lot of like sort of stuff like that on the trails. Right. Wow. So, wow. Very good. Okay. So riding in different conditions then, we're going into the winter season now, so um, it's quite it's quite well timed this. So do you need to change your bike in any way to ride in different conditions? Uh, bits and bobs. Um, if you're really setting it on, then suspension setup will probably make a big difference between like super dry conditions and and the wet. So a lot of grip can be gained from softening your setup. Right, okay, really? Amount, you know? Um other than that, really, tire choice would be about the only thing, and maybe drop the pressures a wee touch. So, right, okay. Um, they don't need to. Would you? Well, I suppose you probably would change tires yeah. from summer to it, winter. It depends what you're running. Like, there's a lot of all-round tires now that you know you can just stick on and leave on all year. But mm-hmm. like it, when it's dry, I like running like a semi-slick in the rear or something, um, which maybe isn't great in the middle of winter when it's yeah. just slop all around. So, yeah, there's definitely a decent spiky front tire when it gets sloppy and something with a bit more mm-hmm. a bit more bite to it. And and do you think for guys out riding in the winter, obviously it's a lot wetter and muddier and stuff, so would they need to be looking after, you know, chains a lot better? Do you need to look after your bike a lot more in the winter? You probably do. You probably wear a lot more of your bike out in winter. Mm. Um, we see it a lot just, you know, you only get so much wear out of a chain before it starts wearing other components around it so a common one would be you know at the very least you'll need to replace the chain and cassette if your chain gets too far gone Mm -hmm. and on a road bike that's probably like a 12 to 1500 mile you know service interval to change the chain out but Mm -hmm. on a mountain mountain bike that could be like a hundred mile of real nasty muddy conditions you know right okay so there's a lot of that um we sort of suggest that everybody has like a chain wear checker. Right. Uh, uh-huh. It's something that maybe costs you a tenner, but we'll save you a fortune if you use it, you know, in the long run. So. Yeah. So I suppose if if you run your chain worn for too long, then it'll destroy your rear cassette. Yeah, it'll, the cassette will be gone, the jockey wheels and the mech. And especially now with, you know, your narrow wide chain rings, they do not like a worn chain at all. So you'll probably be looking at a new chain ring as well. Right, so how can guys then best look after that over the winter season? Keeping stuff clean and throwing chains on a bit more often. You know, if you've got a chain checker and you can sort of change it at like 0.75% stretch, you'll probably get like five chains to one cassette, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but it doesn't take a lot to then go beyond that point where you're better just keeping it on until it's all completely scrapped. Right, okay, yeah. So, And, and would you guys find that when bikes come in and say somebody needs I don't know, say they need a brake cable or something quite simple like that on and you look at stuff like that on the bike because I'm sure you just give it a general one over do you see chains and cassettes and all really badly worn like do most guys just use them to they just snap and break and that's it, I mean we would we generally I probably would (laughs) (laughs) we would usually, um, you know, we'd make a a suggestion and stuff but I think a lot of people think you're just trying to get the arm in yeah Um, it really, you can just keep using the chain until it snaps. And on my commuter bikes, there's chains that, like you know, they're they're on they're on borrowed time. But it's uh, 
if you want the bike to be right and the gears to work right and, mm-hmm. and to avoid kind of you know if you change like a cassette a chain ring and jockey wheels and a chain on a road bike you could be talking 200 quid so like 20 quid every thousand miles would have stopped that happening it, yeah you know would have prolonged it anyway would have you'd have got years out of it instead of maybe a year so. aye prevention's better than cure type yeah type so, thing but we try to let people know and uh give them the option to put it right but yeah most people do in fairness so yeah well that's good yeah that's good and then what about because what about um chain lubes and stuff like that do you need to use different weights for the winter because i know you get dry lube and you get wet lube and what's the difference between them and why do you need to change that generally for most of the year over here i try to use a dry lube just to, to avoid like when you use a wet lube that's got too much kind of gunk sticking about it you promote too much stuff sticking to your chain and anything that you mm-hmm. can add to that chain will mix with the lube and turn into like a grinding paste you know right um so dry lubes are good when you can get away with them but you want something that's going to stay on for the whole ride or you know whenever the amount of time is you need to use the bike so when you hear your chain get into that tinny sort of noise then like that's no good it, it's got no protection at that point and mm-hmm. um you should have used something probably a wee bit heavier Right, okay. And would you apply something like that every time you go out to ride? If, say, you were out riding for a couple of hours every weekend, would you apply that every time before Depending you go? on the lube, um, probably, yeah. Like, most of the time, I mean, where I live, we've got, like, Helen's Star on the doorstep. And I remember probably two years ago, I was getting out quite a bit in the evenings. And just, like, a two-hour lap was enough to have my chain making that tinny noise um, after, mm. you know, just that was bone dry, sort of two hours lubed at the garage before i left in a way and mm-hmm. uh so if you you know if you don't keep an eye on it you could end up running a dry chain and it's going to wear out quicker and right okay that sort of stuff and do you guys sell the lube and stuff here what do you yeah, brand we, you stock here we sell the juicy lube stuff so right um again we uh got got a chance to use it being away with uh ben reed doing the world cup stuff last year and mm-hmm. uh his team was sponsored by it and we got Got to use it all, see what it was like, and was real impressed by it. So really that's good. why we got it, brought it in. Happy days. So let's move on to washing the bike now. I know that sounds that sounds really basic, but is there a proper way to wash your bike? Because there's about 100,000 YouTube videos on how to wash your bike. Is there a proper way to wash your bike, or can you do this badly wrong? Yeah, I guess there's... there's there's the easy way and the hard way and and like the easy way obviously is just to go at it with a power hose and that'll make it look really shiny and clean there's no no way of arguing that but you're also really shortening your bearing life everywhere right and, and your fork seals and stuff so obviously that pressurized water is going to squeeze in the the seals mm-hmm. that are sort of designed to keep most water out so you know if you want to power hose your bike we've, we've lectured you know, God knows how many customers that like, you really shouldn't power hose this bike. I'm like, look, I don't want to wash it the slow way. Uh, just, you know, I'll just pay you to fix it. And that That's sort of fine with us too. <laughs> so, you know, you just need to be prepared that certain areas like your bottom bracket, your frame pivot bearings, your fork seals, shock seals, headset, all, all those areas are going to suffer. All the grease is going to get washed out and then the bearings will all get attacked by the water and they'll start to rust up and get grumbly you know, really quickly. So that's, and then, you know, all your creeks start to set in. So it, it does, it is, it is bad for the bike. But if you're prepared to, you know, to put the time into the maintenance after that, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. If you want to 
you know keep your bike in good order for longer the, the best way is just for the brush or sponge in a bucket you know a bucket of mm-hmm. some sort of soapy water um like you can use fairy liquid if you want but there's salt in it so you can sometimes end up with right. uh, you know rusty bolts and stuff so uh decent bike cleaner is the way to go like the juicy lube stuff's good muck off stuff's good um we see plenty of people getting their bike cleaner from pound shops which is basically just tar and film remover. And <sighs> when you've spent 500 quid on your Chris King hub and it was blue and it's now like kind of turn into pale blue and going to go silver, that that's why, because you saved <laughs> a few quid on your on your bike wash. But, yeah, um, you know, so yeah, a decent quality cleaner that's not got anything too harmful in it um, is definitely the sort of way to go. Yeah. Keeps everything fresher for longer. And you, you see these cleaners that you spray on and you leave for however long, 10 minutes or 15 minutes, yeah. and then you hit her with a hose. Is that still being lazy? Do you still need to get a sponge and a bucket of warm soapy water? It depends. It's all it's all prep, I guess. Like you know, we see plenty of stuff. Like if we've like you know like our own bikes and demo bikes and team bikes, if they've been in and they've had a you know a good service, and we give the frame a uh, wipe down with a frame polish or something, that leaves a nice film on the on the on the tubes of the bike, and then they'll go out and get it stinking. As soon as you hit that with water, all the dirt will just fall off it, you know, mm-hmm. rather than get stuck to everything. So uh, the more regularly you wash it uh, and the mm-hmm. kind of better protection you put on the frame, the more likely it is to fall off. But uh, it depends how clean you want it as well. You might just want yeah. to get all the all the big bits of dirt off it just to lighten it up for the next ride. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that, that'll maybe be fine for you. But if you want it to look, look nice, then if you keep doing that, you know, after every ride, it'll be... It'll stay mint, and all the dirt will keep falling off, and yeah, easier, you know. So probably best to wa- wash it as much as you can, really. Yeah, in like a way. Well, do it properly anyway. Yeah, again, two two ways of looking at it. Like I was told before, that a good layer of dirt keeps all the dirt out, and you know, there's no denying that. But again, it's going to hold all the water <laughs> close to your bearings and stuff, right? But, um, yeah, I guess like we would tend to wash bikes after every ride, and then it, mm-hmm. like a good frame coating as well help keep your paint good. And like I say, it mm-hmm. stops all the dirt sticking to it so bad. Right. And is there anything you should do after you wash your bike then? Should you be drying it or is there any kind of thing that people just don't do after they wash the bike? Yeah, well, we would we would tend to let them drip dry for a little while, then uh, dry them off. Like I say, a bit of like, uh, you know, um, like frame protection spray or even, you know, like WD-40 onto a rag and then wipe it down your frame will do something sort of similar maybe not stay around for as long but mm-hmm. um like juice lube's frame polish stuff's really good um stick that on and then that be an ideal time to give your chain a lube and stuff as well so you've probably washed off all the old lube um even if you use a chain scrubber or something one of them chain scrubbing tools with a bit of degreaser get it all mm-hmm. clean fresh lube on it uh leave the lube on for a few minutes and then just wipe off all the excess and it should be sitting mint for the next time you want to go out should be ready to go happy yep. days on it might keep the guys out of your stores the only thing a wee bit longer but <laughs> there'll be something eventually <laughs> all right let's talk about riding on different surfaces and tire pressure um and we have a subscriber to the show called dan sweeney who had a few questions uh one about tire pressure um i'm kind of a tire geek to be honest i love my tire stuff um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, firstly, we touched on this a wee bit, but should we be changing the type of tyre from summer to winter? And what would you advise? More grip, wider? What way would you go normally? Um, definitely, there is. It depends what kind of riding you're doing, but generally there will be performance to be had by changing tyres. Um, 
when we were doing the World Cup stuff, I'd sit up to 12 o'clock at night doing cutting spikes down, you know, because that's what the, the order of the day was for the next day. So the boys definitely were able to feel a difference and you could see a difference um, in, in changing from like a Magic Mary to the hands down for, or a, yeah, like a Dirty Dan or even the difference between that and like a cut down Dirty Dan on certain surfaces. So mm-hmm. there's definitely performance to be had by going for something a wee bit faster rolling in the dry when you can get away with it. Um, you're just giving up resistance by, you know, getting rid of half of the tread knobs and the same kind of goes for tire pressures to a certain extent. So Yeah. So for for the trails we have here, what kind of tire would you run normally over the summer? What kind of width would you, like what are you running on your bike at the minute? Currently I've got a high roller uh, treble compound in the front and a Schwalbe rock razor on the back mm-hmm. and I've ran that pretty much most of the year. Um, it's probably not an ideal tire for natural trails coming in the middle of winter on the back but it's been grand for like 75% of the riding that we would get to do. So, mm-hmm. And I, I kind of just like that semi-slick setup. Right. And would you change that then coming into the wetter weather now? Yeah, maybe something. You just find you'll lose a bit of, you know, straight line breaking on like slippy roots and rocks or mm-hmm. when it's really wet. So maybe something like a like a hand stamp or something on the back or even just another high roller would be probably a good good thing for mm-hmm. for winter so and if you're running say let's just say for instance a 2.3 or something in the summer and you go to like a 2.5 in the winter what way does that affect your tire pressures then well you get more volume of the bigger tires so generally um a lower pressure will give you the same sort of feeling um on the bigger tire as it would do with the the smaller 235 so um, like Kieran's bike recently came with uh, some 2.5s and we run them pretty low and mm-hmm. you know they still hold their support because now you've got wider rims so all the rims are now like 30 mil wide the tires have got wider to match so your sidewalls not like as foldy and stuff as it was before mm-hmm. so you can get away with lower pressures and they still don't feel sluggish and, and like beforehand with narrower rims and sort of thinner tires and stuff when you drop the pressure, you just started feeling the tire kind of roll off the rim. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that seems to be something that tire manufacturers and rim manufacturers have kind of got around with making everything a bit wider. So. Right. Okay. Cool. Um, we'll not go into grip patterns or anything like that. Cause <laughs> that that's another show all on its own. Um, but what Dan Sweeney was kind of interested in, um, probably similar to myself, he, he reads a lot into tire pressure and it was. Wanting to know, depending on what kind of surface you were riding, um, what kind of tire pressure you should be using. So if it's really hard, dry, should your tire pressure be different from if it's soft and wet, I suppose, yeah. that kind of thing? Generally, I mean, tire pressure will change a bit over the course of that, but we would tend to make a lot more changes to like suspension stuff rather than the tire itself. So um, you maybe be most of the guys like just say for instance on a world cup track when it it starts to to change from you know dry to wet the boys would be changing their tire pressure maybe like two psi or thereabouts sort of dropping it to try and get a bit more bit more Mm -hmm. grip and have a bit more sort of wrap around on on rocks and features and all that sort of stuff but their suspension setup would probably be changing like 20 percent you know going softer just to to get a bit more grip so yeah there's and what kind of pressure would you be running in your tires? Generally, for myself, I kind of like something 
that grips at the front and is a bit skittery at the back. So yeah. I'm probably not the same as what most people want to run, but I'd be running maybe 24, 23 in the, in the front mm-hmm. and maybe as high as like 28 and 28 and 30 in the back. So Right, really? Yeah, you see, that's really interesting because I really think I like running my tires really soft. Yeah. <laughs> I run my front about 15. That's it. If you can get away with not rolling the tire or feeling like the tire's kind of always squidging, run it as low as you can. And you can. I mean, there is definitely be grip to be had mm-hmm. by lower pressures, but like I'm a heavy guy, I'm a hundred odd kilos. So if right. I start pushing a 15 psi tire, it starts to feel like a bit of a plastic bag. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how do, so how does that change? Then how does your tire pressure change depending on your riding style and your weight? Um, well, riding style it can change vastly. I mean, we've got a, a team rider or McKenna, and I don't know if anybody's seen him ride, but. He runs like 60 PSI on his tires, and he finds grip everywhere. <laughs> and what, what build is he? Uh, he's, he's a chunky enough wheel head, but... <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, we he's, can edit that out, that's right. <laughs> he's going big, you know, like he's hitting stuff flat out. So, like, his main concern is not pinch flatten and denting rims and all that kind of stuff. So, that's why he'd be keeping his pressures up. But, mm-hmm. um, like, generally, if somebody wants to go fast... And don't don't want to worry too much about, you know, it, it sort of does depend on your riding style because mm-hmm. if you run your tires too low, you'll just ding rims flat out. So yeah. And I was at Castle Wellen Castle last weekend. You'll not believe it, I got three punctures. 15 PSI? <laughs> <laughs> Are you running tubes or tubeless? Inner tubes, yeah. Yeah, no, nah, you need to ditch those straight away. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so... Why is that? Uh, tubeless just tends to work a lot better. There's nothing, especially if you're running low pressures, a lot of your punctures were probably from snake bites, you know, where the tire compresses to the rim and then the tube's got nowhere to go. So mm-hmm. it'll usually end up with a pinch in it or two. like One um, either side kind yeah. of thing. So if that's what you're finding, then you are probably run your tires too low, but yeah. you'd probably also get away with that pressure with tubeless because there's nothing really to pinch. Right. Yeah, because I have put on my winter tires now, which are 2.5s, which are too wide, I know, but I have them, so I'm just going to use <laughs> That's them. That's it. Um, and I, was, I probably was running the, the rear a wee bit soft, I think. Yeah. So it's, if you hang up on anything, especially in places like Castle Well, there's maybe like a lot of square edge, rocky, so, yeah. uh, you know, just sort of man-made stuff. Um, a bit higher pressure will probably just keep the rim up off the off the rocks and stuff and right. allow you to get through without as many pinches but yeah definitely tubeless tubeless is the way right and is tubeless heavier what's the disadvantages and what's the advantages it probably works out somewhere you definitely will save a wee bit of weight i mean we're putting maybe 60 mil of milk in with a valve and rim tape and what are you talking maybe 130 grams or thereabouts uh like a light tube's probably 100 grams so right um, you're probably in about the same, but what you sort of do away with in weight, you'll just gain in reliability. You know, it'd be rare mm-hmm. enough for a good quality tire to, to let you down that much with tubeless. So. Right, and do you need to be running a certain type of rim and a certain type of tire for that to be able to work? It definitely helps. If you use something that is marketed as tubeless ready, it'll have like a bead that suits better on both rim and tire and and just prevent you know like tires burping off the rim and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. yeah and is that set up a, a bit more expensive than tubes or 
You'll definitely. I mean, if you're if you're not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're busting three a day, I normally do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you probably nowadays it's hard to find something that's not tubeless ready. You know, you'd probably be hard pushed to walk into a bike shop and find a tire or a rim that mm-hmm. that isn't tubeless compatible. So most new bikes will come straight out of the box, and although they have tubes in them, you could just throw rim tape on and just seat them tubeless. So, so for an old school guy like me, it's still running twenty sixes. I'll let you know. Uh, <laughs> Could you get a tubeless 26? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Tubeless has been about since I started in the bike trade, so that's at least, what, 2005 or something? Right, okay. Right, all right. Yeah. Well, I'll have to look at how to do that because I wouldn't have a clue. So. That's it. We can sort you out. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. All right, let's talk suspension setup and try not to get too technical for us now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so how should we be setting up our suspension for sag and rebound uh, and that kind of thing? And can you explain why that's important? Yeah. Uh, generally, what we'll do, um, you want to, each bike will have kind of what it was designed around, you know. Most, like, if we're talking about sort of like an enduro-style bike, you know, 160, 150 mil travel bike will probably mm-hmm. be designed around like a 30% sag. Um, that would be normal enough these days. So your rear shock, we'd set up, pretty much buying on 30 percent uh and then probably set the fork up a wee bit harder so um if you balance them too much you know if you have like 30 front and rear you'll find that a bike will probably want to sit on the nose when you're descending you know obviously gravity's against against you so Mm -hmm. we'll generally set most things up with the front that we touch harder to kind of like allow the back to sag in a wee bit more than the front would right and it keeps your weight behind the handlebars and stops you going out the front door quite as much okay yeah so you'd, you'd probably be talking like 30 percent in the rear 20 to 25 in the front mm-hmm. and then it really just the rebound and stuff from that point for a real basic setup you just want to get a balance so take the bike out just even on flat ground have a bounce about on it see what the bike feels like it's doing you know is the front staying down and the back's kind of wanting to kick you well then you maybe speed up the front or slow down the rear mm-hmm. um but yeah, just try and get it feeling like that it's all working together. One thing you do see a lot of is just bikes looking like, you know, the front is doing something completely different to the back and it, it looks scary. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> and I suppose you would have to, would you set that up kind of depending on what kind of surface you're running on or? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like if you're riding trail center a lot, you probably set your bike up a bit harder because there's not as many you know, there's more grip on offer for a start. So mm-hmm. you don't need to worry about, you know, trying to eke out every last bit of, you know, sort of mechanical grip that can be got. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you're riding a lot of loose, steep stuff, then maybe exaggerating that, you know, sagging the rear in a bit more and keeping the front a bit higher might be better for you. Um, just when your body's facing down, it takes a lot less, or it takes a lot more effort for you'd end up going over the bars or something like that if the bike's naturally already sort of squatted in. Right, so, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I never actually thought on it like that, to be honest. Uh, that's it. Too much weight over the front. Like, although you need it for grip, there is a balance there. And if you're kind of, if the front's always diving, but the back's always staying up in its travel, mm-hmm. then you're just... Yeah. yeah. It's just, you know, eject receipt type yeah, thing. that's it. Right. Uh, and... I'm I'm quite good at this, I think. When I go out to check my suspension, I would normally do it every couple of times I go out. Uh-huh. Um, 
how often do you need to do that? Because I've heard stories of guys never checking it from one year to the next. If you get it set up, sort of like, well, it depends on where you're riding. If you're going to be riding the same sort of places, then mm-hmm. you could probably get away with just leaving it for a couple of months. No problem at all. You mm-hmm. know, most stuff these days doesn't really seem to lose pressure or yeah. anything like that. So um, it's more just if you're riding vastly different places. Like, say, I went from Mary Peters and I had a good setup at Mary Peters. And then I'm, the next day I was going to Donard, where everything's like much steeper, rootier, slippier. Mm-hmm. you know that setup is probably not going to work very good and yeah yeah it probably need a bit of addressing so yeah and and can you if you go on your bike and go for a ride can you tell straight away that, that this suspension's not right for what the conditions are or i can because i've spent so much time doing it but yeah it's probably hard enough for people that don't really know what the feedback mm-hmm. the bike's giving you you know one of the hardest things when even you know mechanicing for race teams and stuff is getting the riders to give you the correct feedback so as long as somebody can tell you that you know the back's a bit loose or it's tucking the front or you know i'm getting too much feedback or the forks packing down on on fast stuttery stuff or something if someone can give you that feedback you can make an adjustment so mm-hmm. but that's really at the higher end of things um for yeah. most people if they get it set up right once it'll probably do them for most of their riding you know so. yeah yeah no it's good and like for guys how how would how would general fellows like myself that are out a couple of times a week how would they know when there's an issue with their forks or their suspension and they need to come and see see make monkey see use use two fellas generally the, the probably the first thing to notice will be if things start getting a wee bit harsher on your hands you know you feel like you've lost a bit of grip or like your hands are getting a wee bit hammered it's probably that the forks got very dry or there's a dampen issue or something like that um yeah. and that's where you'll feel it first and uh obviously a lack of control in the bike but some people can just ride around such big problems with their bike that they might not even notice you know yeah but uh good good uh good feedback in the hands and stuff is probably like a, a telltale that the fork's not as supple as it could be and it's picking mm-hmm. up a lot more small bumps in uh that it than it should do so yeah and if your lockout stops working, that's a good one too. Yeah. If you've got lockout. Yeah. And like, if I would, personally myself, if I had any issues with my forks or my rear suspension, I wouldn't be tinkering with it personally. I wouldn't be opening things up. Would you advise that? It's you know, hard could to that say. be costly if you were to do something wrong? Um, we've had plenty of stuff brought into us in bags. So, <laughs> and we haven't charged <laughs> anymore. So, um, you could do a bit of damage like i mean we have seen stuff that people have had or you know their friend the sheds had a go and you know there's vice grip marks where there shouldn't be vice grip marks and that part needs changed because it'll just rip up seals every time it you know passes a seal and stuff uh, yeah so i mean you definitely can like if you get into anything you don't understand and don't use the right tools you, you do run the risk of you know costing yourself more money in the long run but mm-hmm. for the most part with today's tutorials online and stuff most people you'll kind of know if you're scared of it you probably shouldn't be playing with it yeah <laughs> but if you're confident enough horse on have a go just go for it yeah. <laughs> brave brave man there all right uh, let's talk about brakes then um so how would somebody know really that they need to be looking at their brakes r- other than them not stopping how would you know there's something wrong with them uh, 
I guess it's how they come down to the feel. You know, like a, a lot of brakes, especially if they're running dot fluid, so that'll be, you know, any like SRAM, Avid, Formula stuff, you know, the seals can start to swell and you'll feel this kind of spongy, yeah. you know, overly tight feeling in the lever. So the lever will, like, you know, pull hardly any, but the brakes won't work any sort of sharper. So that's a sign of, you know, um, internals of your levers sort of starting to die like dot fluid is corrosive to the rubber seals that are in your brakes so they do last a certain right. amount of time before they need change um, I guess it comes down to that and if this feels really spongy and pulled to the bar they're they're not going to stop you and the other thing we see a lot of is just your brakes howling you know just squealing uh, mm-hmm. when you apply them so that will happen when they're wet but whenever they warm up it should stop that um, and the biggest cause of them squealing um, not in the wet would just be down to contamination. So you need to be really careful what you're spraying on your your brake rotors because uh, it'll get into your pads and and it'll just howl. Um, so that that can be anything from you know like I was saying about putting sprays on your on your frame. If you spray that around your fork leg and it just goes onto your disc, even in a wee light mist, even something that the other side of the garage can get on there, and mm-hmm. even you know oily fingerprints like just the skin that's in your the oil that's in your skin can contaminate brake pads if you're poking at them and touching them so yeah you need to be really careful with that and um they, they just need taken out and have a, a burn and a sand and you can put them back in again they'll be fine and you know get the get your rotors good and clean right and together. for my brakes at the minute definitely need repaired mm-hmm. they're very soft very little stop and okay. par yeah um if I was to go and look at that, I would personally say, okay, one, they either need bled or they need new pads. Yeah. Would you advise somebody to bleed their own brakes and do stuff like that? Because people seem to be really scared of that. Yeah, I guess it comes down to the same thing as, as the suspension stuff. You know, um, all the manufacturers are generally happy enough to put guides on online they'll mm-hmm. have a instruction kind of manual or feeling that you can go to youtube and see how it's done and then you just kind of have to assess whether that looks like something you'll be capable of doing you know <laughs> yeah. you know if you've got hands like ham and it just, just does nothing and you're going to wreck stuff and break bolts then maybe leave it alone but if you're generally quite good you know at tinkering with stuff then you, you might have a go at it and the other thing it comes down to is the cost of the tools you know uh if you want a, a brake bleed kit for an avid you know you're going to be spending upward of 30 pound on a kit mm-hmm. um or you could pay a bike shop about 15 pound to bleed a brake so it, you know are you going to do it you're going to need to bleed bleed your brakes enough times to pay off that tool or you're going to, have to start yeah. charging your mates or something and you know pay for the tool or yeah, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a slippery rabbit hole that we've both been down to and you start your tools get more and more expensive yeah you certainly start justifying them but you know if it's just a basic shimano blade and all you need is a wee cup and a bit of mineral oil you know it's you know easy done and not too much investment so you can give it a go yeah and you know i suppose the thing is a lot of people will try things at home um and try and do them themselves which is good i suppose so they're interested in you know they're, they're interested in being able to maintain their bike which you really should be able to do to a certain extent but do you think guys do stuff and don't maybe do it a hundred percent and you know their bikes are coming in or their bikes are running not a hundred percent the way they should be is that is that one of the problems with relying on youtube yeah i guess so i mean the thing youtube can teach you a process you know a to b so like you know yeah my brake needs bled so you squirt the syringe in here and out there and pull that bit this bubbles comes out and that's that's all well and good i guess it comes down to 
um, the diagnostics in between that. You know, if you just keep bleeding and bleeding and bleeding, you keep getting bubbles coming out of it, it takes a bit of experience to go, right, that's leaking or that needs rebuilt or, mm -hmm. you know, the, the bits in between to check, you know, like it's easy to follow instructions, but yeah. I guess the it's when something else has went wrong and it's not quite explained in the video that, you know, this seal could break and this could be going on inside, then then that's what really, you know, you yeah. better go on the mechanic, I guess. Aye, and brakes are quite important as well. Aye, well, that's it. You kind of rely <laughs> on them being there, you know, there's nothing worse than giving a yank of a lever and nothing nothing happens, you know. Yeah, yeah, cool. Now, I want to ask you just, uh, we touched on it a wee bit earlier, but Dan Sweeney, again, was, was interested in this kind of this question, and it was to do with upgrades. And we talked a wee bit before, maybe before we even went on here, about guys bringing in really cheap, nasty bikes and wanting expensive upgrades. Yeah. But Dan's interested in um, when are you, when do you start to waste your money when when you're upgrading stuff? I know it's a difficult question, but you know, can you go can you go too far? Can you put on forks say which are way too good for the frame that you're running or? Are rims more important than forks, or what? What way would you upgrade, and what kind of when do you stop spending money? It's it it's a hard one actually to answer because there's so yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there now. Like the you know the the market is very driven by products, and everyone everyone loves a good complaint about all the new standards and stuff. So like you know stuff is good like bikes that are coming out of factories like they don't like it used to be you bought a bike and you automatically needed to shorten your stem put wider bars on convert it to a single ring all that stuff had to be done you know mm -hmm. and people would you know you'd have your bike bought one year and then next year you go right i'm upgrading my fork then the following year you'd upgrade your wheels then you'd upgrade your frame and it would just continue mm -hmm. but it's just there's a there's a thing now i've just like i'll buy this couple of grand bike ride it ride it for a year then next year buy the new bike and and sort of repeat but i guess like if you're looking for somewhere to upgrade on your bike it depends on the bike but most of the time the wheels are where shortcuts are taken you know especially in sort of hub quality and engagement so a good set of wheels is a good upgrade mm -hmm. especially now you kind of hope that the industry is settled on 650b or 29er and boost and if you go with that and that all fits then you should be able to take that wheel set with you but Obviously, no guarantees in this game anymore. Yeah, yeah. You'd think you'd think the wheels would be quite important because they're actually the thing touching the ground. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, it may like, sound silly, but it, why you get into your tire nerd things as well? Like it's your contact, like so you're holding on to the grips, so you want that to be good. Your feet are on the pedals, you want to make sure that's good, and your mm -hmm. tires holding on to the ground, so make sure that's good. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, it's a good way of looking at it. I would, I would tend to look like that as well. It just it used to. It's probably changed recently. It used to be you bought. You know, you kind of upgraded the best thing you could because you knew your next frame, you could just take that across. So spending like 120 quid in the Chris King headset didn't seem that bad because you had it in five frames, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, you can't because a headset will be the different standard next year and like hub width, you know, that nice Pro 2 you bought maybe like six or seven years ago, it doesn't fit anything now. So, you know, mm -hmm. you need to buy a Pro 4 or you need to get something with the right axle spacing. So yeah, there definitely so is a kind of... Upgrading bike parts used to be something that you had to do all the time because only the good stuff was kind of good. Um, and but you could transfer it between, you know, it would last you for a lifetime nearly. Yeah. Um, now bikes are kind of coming out of the box, ready to go, and uh, 
yeah, there doesn't seem to. Well, you know, rightly, whatever you buy from is not going to fit next year. So there's uh, there's a not a lesser need to to upgrade a lot of stuff. So them corporate boys just make you buy a new bike <laughs> every it. year, huh? Shakers, <laughs> because uh, it used to be the thing you would buy a bike, you'd buy a really good frame, and then like like, like you were saying, you would just add to it, you know, then the following year whenever you needed something. But that's all changing, you reckon? So definitely, yeah. If you you know it takes you to be fussier, it takes you to be fussier to to want to upgrade stuff. You know, there's you know obviously gonna be bits and pieces depending on what spec of bike you buy that you can make upgrades. But like even the cheap stuff, like we're running you know a shop demo bike with NX, you know stuff on a bottom of the line SRAM eleven speed, and it works class. You know there's mm-hmm. no like yeah, and the same with the Yari. Like there's like. I'm not going to notice too much of a difference between a Yari and a Pike just because one of them, or a Yari and a Lyric, just because one of them has a charger damper in it, you know, that has sealed damping cartridge and one of them's, you know, open bath. You know, it takes you to be really tuned into what your bike's doing. But if you look at, you know, we watch a lot of old mountain bike videos and stuff in the shop. We watch a bike that someone was riding 10 years ago. You wouldn't ride it down the street. But my bike's <laughs> ten years old almost. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? You kinda of look at it and go, Whoa, no way but like the stuff they're able to do is way beyond my riding capability. Yeah. But and the bike's equally capable. Like, yeah, you know. okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. Thank so you. go ahead, right. right. It just comes down to the law of diminishing returns, really. You know, like a two grand bike these days has everything you need to get out in the trails and you know, ride as the bike will outride most people, ninety five percent of the people every time. So, yeah, after that, upgrades are nice. You know, you can get a nicer fork that might be a wee bit like easier. Tune, well, not easier tuned; it'll be harder tuned, but you'll get more out of it in the long run if you're riding to that standard. But for the most part, I think now, like the best value and uh, where my money would go is kind of like entry level or just above you know yeah. the stuff is just so good that it's hard to to argue with right okay interesting interesting all right guys let's chat a wee bit then about professional maintenance just um so really how often would you be given a bike a total overhaul if it was in your opinion uh, i guess it all depends on the amount of riding you do i'd say the average is you know someone going out every saturday or sunday mm-hmm. and maybe an evening you know, during the week, if you're yeah. getting those couple of rides in, it maybe be every six months or something, you know, for a decent service. But you mm-hmm. may have to change your chain in between that if you're, you know, getting good miles um, or getting out in it, you know, a lot or in bad conditions. Like, so uh, yeah. I'd say six monthly, if you're only getting out, you know, Sunday or every other Sunday or whatever, then maybe the, like an annual service is, is fine. Mm. Um, I, I guess it depends. It yeah, just depends. All depends on ours, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, Fox might tell you if to service your fork every 200 hours and that doesn't take too long to, to rack up, you know, if you're mm-hmm. out for four or five hours on, on a Sunday, you know. Yeah. And what advantages would it give bringing your bike for an annual MOT here with you guys or say every six months? What? How does that help your riding and how does that help your bike? Will that preserve parts and things like that or? Yeah, well, the, the more often everything's looked at, the the better nick it'll stay in, you know. Um, I guess it, it depends as well if you're, like, preemptively changing parts or you're just changing the part. Like, a bike come in for a service and we'll go, okay, like, your bottom bracket's worn out and, you know, this, your chain needs chains and you could do that. Or you could look further into the future and, mm-hmm. you know, like, service a headset instead of waiting for the bearings, you know, to right, get grumbly. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it just just depends how much you want to put into it. But it, yeah. having it looked at means you know that everything at that time is in good shape. You know that nothing's going to fall off. All your bolts are tight, um, and you know the bike's going to perform. Uh, and I guess if you're just kind of riding away at it and letting you know little noises turn into big noises. Like I put my head away, driving like climbing up a climb, and your bike just squeaking and creaking yeah. and popping and banging, you know. <laughs> and you just, you know, your mates will leave you. They'll, they'll go away and say, you know, you go get that fixed, and then you can come back. Uh-huh. And do you think it really? Do you think it enjoys if your bike's running properly? It enjoys your time on the trail? Uh, definitely for me. I know mm. there's some people that are oblivious to it, and but we'd see the other side of that where people, you know, want their bike to be perfect it's the same you spent you know two grand five grand on your bike it should perform like that there's no point in letting driving it into the ground and having it not work the way it's supposed to same mm-hmm. with your suspension servicing if your seeds go dry and they don't do anything you might as well have a cheap fork you know rather than your expensive fork that's not working right you know so yeah yeah keeping all that stuff good you know and like the more stuff you do in between bringing the bike to us the the better it is you know if you're using you know your fork sprays and stuff to keep your your uh, seals in good neck and all siliconed up and you're giving bits of grease and checking bolts over and sort of mm-hmm. lubing your own chain and keeping it clean that'll all pay dividends when it comes in for a service you'll not get told that everything's worn out you know yeah and guys can you just could just help somebody out with any issues they have at all we talked a wee bit earlier before we started on the podcast about snapped carbon frames and stuff like that can it can the guys can customers come to you with any any kind of complaints and you can yeah at least I mean, point them like, in the right direction or? yeah well we've seen all sorts come through the door since we started but like we can generally fix most things like you know mm-hmm. a snap frame is a pretty extreme one but you know <laughs> we have contact details for boys that do repair them if that's the route you want to go down mm-hmm. um but yeah we haven't failed at anything yet and we've always pointed someone somewhere you know and even when it comes down to stuff like resprays with contacts for that and you know even down to like we do all the invisi frame kit fitting and you know pretty mm-hmm. much anything that's on a bicycle like we can fix it or point you in the right way yeah so that's good but definitely if you're doing general biggish hours bring the bike six months every six months and if you're maybe out once a week or so, just every every year, really, just yeah, to- yeah, I'd, I'd say you can go too far too far wrong with that. Like you know, if you if we see it at one stage and then in six months' time you come back in, and you manage to wreck a bike in six months, we might say you might come back in four months this time. You know, right? Yeah, but that's the easiest way to tell. And like you say, the more the more the customer puts into it themselves, you know, in terms of doing the small maintenance things, then mm-hmm. the better it will become come big service time yeah okay no that's fair enough so what about the future for make monkey then guys you have a great great site here a wee bit of room to expand and stuff so is there is there anything new in your cards for the future i guess we're just going to keep kind of growing as we are like we're sort of building the retail side of things at the minute you know starting to do a wee bit of clothing and clothing bikes and accessories so uh, we'll probably bring in some some stuff like helmets and goggles and uh, mm-hmm. a bit of five tens and stuff like that. Um, as we get on in the year, um, we're sort of growing our suspension service and things. So we want to like sort of start to do a bit more mail in uh, suspension servicing because we get guys driving up from Newry and and Ballycastle or uh, like you know far mm-hmm. afield. So yeah, we're gonna set up something for post in suspension uh, servicing. 
uh, our website's been in progress for a good while, so we're going to get it on the go and a bit of a web store up there. Good stuff, That's yeah. Sort of the plan. Brilliant. And you you are out round lots of the races and stuff like that too. Um, yeah. And that, I actually ran into you at Castle Welland for the twenty four hour race. Um, is that something you always have done? Are you planning to do that more so, or yeah, keep well, a presence there? Yeah, well, we we got our sort of event set up a, a while back, and yeah, we get as much stuff as we can. You know, uh, give up whatever Sundays need to be done to turn up the races and that. And I, I guess it's helped with the team of lads that we sort of look after. So we try to turn up to whatever races they are doing, and primarily sort of giving them a hand. But you mm-hmm. know, if you see us at a race and something goes wrong with your bike, like call over and. We'll not see anyone stuck, you know, on race day. If we can help you out and we've got the parts, we'll, we'll definitely help you out. Yep, happy days. So that's good. No, it's good to see you at the races, actually. I'm sure, you know, it would be great for me because I'm trying to get a wee team together, but all my mates just want to be the mechanic. <laughs> but I'm yeah. like, no, no, guys, there's mechanics on site, you know. Yeah. I need uh, the actual racers. You're the guy going for 24-hour races, though, and that's just... <laughs> you're I know, a bit of a masochist maybe. <laughs> uh, so, guys, how can people best contact you um, online or give you a, a phone or what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, you can just uh, give, us a, give us a phone or uh, drop us a message on Facebook or just drop us an email, uh, call in the shop for a chat if you want and grab a cup mm-hmm. of coffee or something. Cool, and I'll put all the links in the show notes so people can find out where sure. you're at and, and, and things like that. So that's cool. Here, guys, thank you very much for allowing me to sit here on your Friday evening, you know. No worries. Guys at years will be out riding the town now, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks very much. Thanks very much for coming on to the show, guys. And uh, I know a lot of people have asked about maintenance things and also um, hopefully it'll help out and hopefully we can maybe do something a wee bit in the future as well. Yeah, hopefully we didn't go into too much detail for you. No, it's all good. We'll get an episode on tyres, right? Let's go really geeky and get an episode (laughs) on tyres. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just go in the compounds and uh, yeah we can do that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right happy days we'll go we'll cut it there cut <laughs> thanks very much lads all right thank you bye bye that wraps number 11 folks and i hope you enjoyed that show it was very insightful and uh we have no excuse now so we need to get the uh the, the cleaning utensils out and make sure them chains are correct and everything else because I can well assure you mine's, mine's too worn for that bike to set, that's for sure. Um, so thank you for listening to the podcast and if you want to know anything more about Meg Monkey and the guys there, just go to the show notes at www.mtb-tribe.com and all their links will be there. All the links to the materials they sell and how they can help is also there. So please get involved and check the guys out. If you have any issues, them them lads are more than willing to help. And uh, the expertise is definitely there. So please get involved with the show. You can follow us on Instagram at MTB Tribe, Facebook MTB Tribe. And also if you're listening via iTunes or Stitcher, please leave a review and share with your friends. It all helps the show and helps this thing continue. And so I am really having a blast and I hope you guys are enjoying it. But five-star ratings on iTunes really helps us get rated there. It gets more people involved and helps me stay here uh, and bringing you this content. So please get involved. I really appreciate it. If you need any more information, just visit the website, mtb-tribe.com. And I will see you guys next week for another exciting podcast in the MTB world. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great week. All the best. Bye.